We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a As an homage to Unai Emery's substitution decisions on Boxing Day, we've removed all of the talent from today's podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, he took off Ozil. He took off Lacazette. That's okay. We won better him. We took off Tim. We took off Paul. It's just me and Clive. Now, Scott will be on down the line, so maybe that was a little unfair. We have a sub in the wings who can really bring the quality. But for now, you're going to have to deal with just me and Clive. And Clive is on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. My name's uh, Elliot Smith and Buckman. I did the whole part. Anyway, so, <clears throat> all right, Clive, lots to dig into here. And, uh, you know, I think let's start first and foremost with, you know, the, the opening stanza of the game, which was really encouraging, actually. We were kind of all over them. We were suffocating them. They couldn't really get out. We created some early chances, and I was really encouraged by it. I mean, what worked in the beginning of the game? Let's start with that. What was working? Uh, we just looked like a better team. Right, so this game worried me. As we spoke previously, I was bright in the way I felt they were ganging up, waiting for us. And um, they rested Glenn Murray, who had a successful time against us last year. And I thought they are going to put lots of crosses in our box. I thought they have their big centre-halves. I know, I know they lost Lewis Dunk, but Shane Duffy steaming on free kicks. And, I was, and so the game did worry me. It's the sort of game that we lost quite comfortably last season. So over Christmas period, we've had midfielders on bookings i was concerned but then when we started we just looked quite bright quite sharp and we were just a lot more in form we've lacked a little bit of form of late if you know what i mean elliot just a little bit of directness that we'd sort Mm -hmm. of 
got used to and and we were going into our front man they looked both looked sharp and Ozil looked okay and we were getting second efforts and I thought okay this is all about our forwards how are we going to do and um and I thought we were just going to get well, we got one goal obviously but I thought we'd just get the second and go in you know two up maybe and then and then go from there and then play the game out but I think um we just didn't quite execute and I think that execution really was the story of the game. Well, I think. you know, I, I, I sort of agree. I mean, look, I, I think when the game settled into more of a pattern, right? So early on, the game lacked any real cohesion or pattern. And I thought we actually thrived at that point. When they got the ball, they couldn't get out. We were able to press them. We were able to create, you know, broken field opportunities and transition opportunities. And we had a couple of good long balls, actually, that, that sent Aubameyang in. But as the game settled into a pattern, I thought you really saw a struggle to link the three central midfielders to the attack. And there was a lot of sideways passing from Shaq. I mean, he was a high-volume passer in this game. Hardly any of it went forward. It was all to the defenders and the, and the wing and the fullbacks. And then Torreira passed a lot to Shaq and the defense. Ganduzi passed a lot to Torreira, Shaq, and the defense. And I think that there was just a real challenge linking. What little link there was with Mesut Ozil, but I don't think the ball moved forward enough. I don't think that we had anyone who was willing to make the sort of brave line-breaking pass. On a few occasions, Shaka tried it, uh, or Ganduzi tried it. We actually saw some turnovers that led to some good chances for them. So, I mean, yeah. where do you stand on sort of... I, I guess it was a four-diamond two in some respects. I mean, where do you stand in terms of why we struggled to progress the play so much? Well, the first thing you have with a four-diamond two is you, you have to rely on fullbacks for your width. And strangely, Colasinic was not as aggressive in his running in this game. I'm, I'm not sure why, but he was quite passive. And Lischsteiner is someone who sort of makes the runs, but his speed of movement does not convince you to pass to him because you're not sure he's going to deliver. So I just felt we lacked the penetration. So what happens then? You're, you're right. You look for look for the root cause, right? Why is Shaka not passing? into the last third penetratively because no one's making runs penetratively, right? So what you end up doing is going, trying to go straight. And Arsenal, not really a team that want to hit the front man early, but that was the best route in this game. And, um, you know, Aubameyang's run in the, into the corner and the chip over the keeper was an example that sometimes you just got to take what's on offer. If the other team are offering you that straight ball, they take it. Don't worry about your pattern of play. They're offering you something. Don't be too don't be too proud to take what's on offer, even if it's a straight ball down the middle. Because for me that's where our talent is and I think that's where we've not got injury apart from Welbeck. But if you're saying to me we've got Urzel, Aubameyang, Lacazette, why are we playing amongst our back line? Get the ball to them as quickly as possible and let them have as many touches as possible, as early as possible, because there's there is the the key to victory. Give them the ball, and when they lose it, do the work for them, and then give the ball to them again. That's what I would have done in this game. I was a bit disappointed in our, in our fullback areas, but that's fine. We're away from home. If the team's going to try to hit the channels, so maybe we, they were told to stay in so we don't give them the, the sides on the, on the exits, mm -hmm. like, on, like on their goal, for example. Um, so, yeah, I think we just didn't quite have the consistent penetration that we've been seeing so now we ended up really reliant on the execution of our forwards. And I thought they did quite well in the first half. Left a goal out on the pitch for sure. 
But apart, I think that's where the game story changed. And I think, obviously, the one mistake we made defensively, we end up going in 1-1, and we've got a, we've got a battle, right? Yeah. Well, all right. Look, so let's let's talk about Aubameyang for a minute. You know, I, I think he's come in for some criticism for the miss. I mean, obviously, I, you know, look, the goal he scores, I guess you call that a simple goal. I, I mean, I guess. But, you know, he he has to, you know, quickly, no, instinctively just curl it right into the corner under the bar. And I, I think he did it brilliantly. Um but the goal he he doesn't score. I mean, there's the one you mentioned, the lob. By the way, I mean, if he scores that lob, that is an absolutely stunning goal. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's just a brilliant save that keeps it out. But for the goal that he doesn't score, um, I believe it's Torreira collects yep. the ball, looks up, and this happened a lot. I mean, if you look at the position Torreira's in at that moment, this happened in Ganduzi too, who I think came in for a lot of stick, and we can talk about that. He looks up. There's nobody. There's there's. Nobody in front of him to give the ball to. Lacazette is completely blocked off in the passing lanes. Obama, uh, Obama. <laughs> he's he, that's another podcast. Uh, Ozil is completely blocked off in the passing lane. So he looks up and he spots what I think is an extraordinary run by Aubameyang, an out to in run that that you know keeps him on side, gets behind the center back, loses his marker. He takes one touchdown with his chest brilliantly and he's on the full dead sprint with his defender closing he's got one moment to hit that ball he hits it low and hard maybe not into the corner enough and it's stopped people a lot of people basically pinned this loss on him to some extent saying that his failure to score there is the difference you know between us winning and losing now maybe in as a factual point that's true I find it really harsh to consider that a miss. I mean, I thought he did really well. Where do you stand on on his play for that opportunity and whether that's a miss for him? Right now, he looks off. Right now, today, he is our form player. Right, He is our player that's the the flagship. He looks bright. He's scoring goals. He's top scoring the league. He's missing chances, but he got to get there to miss them. Right, So my, his chance when he went through and the keeper saved it, it was a good save. Much like the Mkhitaryan chant versus Tottenham, you sort of you want those to go in, right? And um, other teams are are burying those. That doesn't mean you have to blame the player. And, you know, Twitter's becoming just a blame fest at the moment. Hey, Everyone's I'm sitting right here. Someone. Okay, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's looking for someone to blame or something to blame. I always say it's a it's almost a form of grieving. How do I make myself feel comfortable? Okay, I feel comfortable if I can blame somebody else for the eventualities of this game that's made me feel less than happy, and and without really looking at what we're we're trying to achieve in the medium and short term, right? So, Aubameyang missed that chance. Mkhitaryan missed that chance. It doesn't mean they're bad players. They missed chances, right? But um, they were quite similar and they were quite equally crucial to the story of the game. And that's what happens. If you miss those chances, we go on and win. No one really cares about it, right? So, Mkhitaryan chance, he just didn't get his head up. He's run through. I thought that was an easier chance, to be fair. Well, it's it's an easier chance if 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 you execute it correctly. What he's done, he's tried to hit the shot early without looking at the goalkeeper the goalkeeper was crap didn't move if he'd have normally a goalkeeper of our top standard would be coming out and you'd catch him as they're moving forward he just stood there frozen when the shot came it was too close to him and he uh he saved it now on the bam young's one he he knew exactly what he was doing he's got good contact on the ball and he just hasn't found the corner and the keeper's made a good save would be great if they both go in but they didn't 
and that's it. But there's, there's a much more. The second half concerned me more when we weren't creating those chances. Where, where do you stand, that, just quickly, on Aubameyang? On, on to the people that suggest uh, he misses his share, he misses too many. I mean, I, I'm not. I don't. I'm saying that in a way that that is sounding like I'm insulting those people or dismissing them as as wild. Um, uh, cranks, which which they are, of course. But no, I mean, you you can make an argument that that Aubameyang misses too many chances. I, I tend yeah. to believe the volume of chances he gets is his skill set. The conversion yeah. rate is not his skill set. His conversion rate over the you know his career has been about average. So I mean, does he miss too many for you? He uh, he could say that, but he's he's a type of striker that he he is. Like you can't. He, he he gets he gets lots of chances and it's not an accident. He gets chances from crosses. He gets chances in the air. He gets first time chances. He can he can get chances from outside the box running in. He scores from outside the box. So this guy is a goal scorer from many different angles and different ways. And so you just got to take it. You just got to take that. I, I'm. I'm I'm fine with it. I was more concerned him early in the season when I didn't think he was moving very well. I didn't think he looked that fit. He looks really sharp right now. He looks fit, and um, he looks you know he's playing almost every minute of every game, and he's one of the players that doesn't look tired. If that makes and so, and and so he we got a lot of hope in him. I guarantee you right now the Liverpool coaching staff are talking about ways to stop him, right? And then um, that's. More, you know, he is the key to us when we go to when we go to Anfield for the weekend. So, don't worry about that rubbish, right? It's just yeah, ciao. Well, and and I'll tell you something too. I, you know, I, again, look, he does miss chances. I mean, that, that is the the reality of who he is as a player. He is a player who's going to miss some. I mean, look, Thierry Henry missed a sitter in the Champions League final. It happens, but um, I think Elliot, sometimes you know, like you get you get Usain Bolt. He's so good. He's so quick. When he loses a race, you think, what's he losing that race for? Right, and then it's it's like a Bamian when he gets the chances that you think he should score, the type that he's good at scoring, when he doesn't miss it, so when he doesn't score, you, you question it, right? So well, and and that's the, just a, it's a credit to someone's talent, really, that we have a high expectation on him to execute. And I think we he can differentiate, right? I mean, look, look, he, people start to build a record on someone, and then it becomes a narrative. I mean, the one he misses against Chelsea, center of the box, pull back cross, keeper beaten, just has to put it in an empty net. That's a missed sitter for me. That's you know yeah. that's a bad miss. Running fifty yards across from the touchline to get between the defenders to pull a ball down on your chest on a dead sprint from a fifty-yard pass to hit it hard low left, but not quite beat the keeper is not a miss. You know what I'm saying? So I just think that that they all get put in the same pot, and then ultimately you develop this narrative that says he misses chances. What I love, I mean, you want an example of his intelligence, and maybe this is me looking too deep into something that should just be basic, but for the goal he does score, watch what he does. Because just before the ball has come to him, he's drifted offside. Because, you know, the ball is being fought for and scuffled about at the center of the top of the box, and he yeah. looks across the line and he takes two really intentioned steps to get back onside. A lot of players just assume they're not getting the ball there, that it's going to be cleared, that it's, you know, not going to come to them. But Aubameyang gets himself back onside, and then when the ball comes to him, it's an easy curler into the far corner. But, like, like that that move to get back on side, the run he makes for the chance that he doesn't score, the run he makes for the lob that's well saved, it's all part of what makes him special. And so, you know, I, I just think we should appreciate him. This is a guy who's very possibly going to be a 30-goal league scorer this season. I, I don't think that's out of the question. So, you know, yeah, he's, I, I don't think our problems are with uh, the top scorer in the league, are they? Surely mm -mm. not. So, uh, no, surely not. Okay, well, let, let, let's touch on one other player real quick. And then I want to get to, um, you know, the, the coach and some of the decisions he made in this game because I think 
that obviously has become the talking point in the wake of the game. And the player I want to talk about is Ganduzi. Obviously, Emery has a lot of faith in him. I really like him. It's funny because I had to watch this match delayed because of work. And so sometimes when I'm not on Twitter, I don't have that that through line of of what the complaint is or what the targeted player is or what the prevailing you know sentiment is to color my opinion, uh, which means I'm free to be totally wrong on my own. And yep. I actually thought that Kanduzi was one of the few players who was trying to progress the ball when things had had bogged down, that he was looking up. He's looking for a pass. There's no one to give it to. A lot of times he shifted it, shifted it, pushed it forward. No one to give it to. Tried hitting it long. He did send the fullbacks free down the wings, both Licksteiner and Kolasinac on a few occasions. Found Aubameyang on the run on one occasion. But yeah, he's he's to blame on the goal to some extent. He He's bypassed. He he still doesn't necessarily mm. understand the off-the-ball work as much. But I even thought the, the criticism for that was a little harsh because he starts his run. He's just not up to it. He's not up to the race. So, you know, I mean, he, he is a little bit slow-footed. He's not going to win a lot of foot races. I'm just curious to get your sense of his performance in this game specifically because I think there are a lot of people that are confused why Emery trusts him so much, but I I was not in that camp on this game. Yeah, well, I make my own mind up when I see somebody, and I, I try to assess them in context, and I often... And I often say, I can hear Paul saying, no, you don't. But I often say, um, basically, <laughs> that, you know, sometimes just judge the player. He's, he's 19 years of age, right? And um, judge him in context. Normally, when we have corners like that, that situation, Bellerin would be on the halfway line, right? So he's our speedster. Bellerin's not there. So again, he comes into a situation where I don't think he should be. I see a situation like that just before half time. I don't see why we just can't keep Koscielny back there. He's not in, you know, why are we, why are we doing that? Just make sure we protect our back door. Maybe that's a hindsight call. Um, Gwenduzi's not the quickest, so you've got Gwenduzi and Lichstein in the back there. And I'm thinking, okay, that's not that's not exactly the US track relay team, is it really, right? So um, so it's just a little bit of a, a concern, and it's where we are. I, my view of this game was... I, I I watched this in, in my football club and a, and a few drinks were flowing post the non-league match we watched. And all I could see was this guy trying to get on the ball and trying to get us going. And I could see somebody that quick free kicks, really caring about the result, really playing a leadership role, really pushing us forward. And then when you when you think back and think, actually, this guy is the youngest person on the pitch and he's doing all of this then maybe just look at it in context and say, well, actually, that talent has got something. He's not perfect. He can get done in the recovery on occasions. He can drift too wide and receiving the ball. The ball doesn't reach him. We then look we look a little bit holy in midfield. But I think of all the things he's trying to do, and he's trying to get us going, he's trying to get us moving forward. And I see a player that maybe he's playing too many minutes, and that's maybe it's a problem for some people who want to see more of Ramsey and Ozil, for example. And they can see this guy being trusted. And then they're, they're starting to question it. When really the question is, it's nothing to do with Granduzzi. The question that's really coming to the fore is, how much do we trust the manager? This is the moment of truth for him, right? Because now we have a situation where he's now going to start building his own team. He's had a period of discovery for the first four months in the season. He's been, he pulled everyone together and he's now discovering what he wants. He's discovering people, discovering if they're going to be with him or not. And he's making decisions. 
and he's making decisions on some of our favourite players in the club. And he's and we're reading rumours about some of his favourite players potentially coming into the club. And now we're debating the quality of those players without really you know, without really understanding what he's trying to achieve, what shape he wants to achieve. But what it comes down to, Elliot, is do we trust the manager? In England right now, there are three managers that sit above the power of it that can never be questioned. That's Pochettino, that's Klopp, and that's Pep Guardiola, right? They're the three darlings of the media. The media are not quite sure about Emery. They're leaving him alone until he makes a mistake. And then they're going to decide. They're giving him a chance to progress. Mourinho was the target completely, and now that person is gone. And Sarri, a little bit like um, Emery, a little bit unknown to the British press. So they're leaving him alone until he makes a mistake, right? So, And, and I think that actually colours people's views. I think if we were consistently told this guy was the best, then I think we would be a little bit more forgiving. But at the moment, we are just waiting. We're not sure if we trust. I think it's a massively important January window because he is making decisions on Ozil and Ramsey and maybe, and they're the two really that really divide opinion. And if he brings in somebody that's not quite of their standard or perceived not to be, I think it could be a tough road for him for the rest of the season. I really do. Yeah, look, I, I hope not. I sure hope not. I mean, I will say this. Guardiola, Klopp, and, and Pochettino, and I won't even get consensus on this, but I think we can say their their untouchable quality right now is at least earned at some level. I mean, Guardiola earned it before he arrived at City and you know set a point total record last season with City, and Klopp earned it at Dortmund before he arrived at Liverpool, and you know clearly based on what he's doing at Liverpool, Champions League final last year, and and leading the league by, what is it, you know, five, five, seven points right now, definitely earning the plaudits. And Pochettino, I think, deserves it on the strength of taking a club that has been you know, basically frozen out from the top four for the entire Premier League era, essentially, uh, and making them a fixture in that in that uh, Champions League position. So, I, you know, I, I think that they have all earned it at some level. Maybe Pochettino a little less than the others to some extent, but... You know, Emery has work to do to get there, and of course, he's just arrived. Um, he's coming, you know, on the heels of what you would say is an uneven performance for PSG in a situation where I'm not sure anybody could completely thrive, and we'll see what Tuchel does there. Yeah, this I, season. I, I know he won the treble last year, but he's sort of forgotten. I know he's meant to win the treble, but he won the domestic treble and he got beat by Barcelona in the in the. In I think the it's Champions a manner League, of right? defeat that that you know. Yeah, had, it hurt him, right? Had, and so. You know, it was spectacular. One, it's a one in a million, and, and so obviously he takes the blame for that. But Klopp's a great analogy, right? So I'm not, I'm not sure if the listeners are aware, but we just do this podcast off of what comes out of our heads. But I just Googled just now Klopp's first team at Liverpool, and some of the names in there, like Skirtle and Moreno and Mignone and Lucas and Sacco, and these were all in his first team that he looked after, right? Um, Klein... And I'm thinking, you know what? Emery's first team, it's not really his team yet. Now, Klopp's had three to four years to build. He's, he's spent the, the Coutinho money very, very well. He's been well supported by his board to really make those signings, which are spinal, league-winning signings. I mean, and we are still making what I call stabilising signings. Can we get to a point where we stabilise the club? Can we get enough out of our 29, 30-year-olds to get us back in the Champions League? And then we can start to build on 
the team that's going to get us back to the top one or two. I think that's going to take a while. And that's not me being pragmatic. It's just, it's just natural, right? Um, I don't think... It's going to be interesting to see what sort of club we are in January. I've been looking at the rumours, much like you, Elliot, and the players that we're looking at, are, they're not top short in that 15 to 20 million range, euro range. And so either with um, undervalue contract-wise or potential contract-wise. And so we're not buying the Van Dykes or the Allisons into, into our team. We're not buying those £70 million players. And I'm afraid we're looking at the rest of the top six and we're seeing these players coming in and we're wondering about ourselves. Are we buying Europa League talent for which we are the fifth best team at the moment with Manchester United catching us up fast? So all these worries are going through people's minds and I'm starting to see the reactions online and, um, and it'll be interesting to see when I'm, you know, on our next home game what the what the feeling is on the terraces if it doesn't go so well, right? So... Um, I can feel it bubbling up, mate, I'm afraid. It's starting to go, and I think it's important on Saturday that we put in a a good performance. See, I I would distinguish this in one respect. I think that... I don't think it's starting to go per se. I am not experiencing people saying Emery out. I think what is happening, and what I think is fair, is people starting to feel that the grace period where you can't have any criticism of a decision he makes is over. You know, he is now, you know, open... Uh, he he is fair target, you know, fair game, whatever, for criticism if he gets it wrong. And, you know, I think you can justifiably have concerns or questions about choices he made in the Brighton game without also simultaneously meaning you want him gone, right? So so let's touch yeah, on some I, I hope we don't. I hope we don't go down that narrative again, mate, because when someone makes a mistake, it doesn't mean that he has to lose their job. No, of course you not. You know, I think, I, I, you know, it's obvious to all of us that, the substitutions did not work in this game. Let's get to them. Let's talk about them. I mean, why? Look, we know we're going to struggle defensively while we have these injuries, and it is it is going to be a challenge for us. Um, I don't want to sit here and pretend that while Ozil was on the pitch and Lacazette were on the pitch, we were creating chances. We weren't. I don't think we had a shot after the seventh minute or something like that, a shot on target or whatever it was. Um, but... You know, taking them off, going to the back three, bringing on Iwobi, you know, removing Lacazette, th- those were moves that I think people are struggling to understand. And I'm just curious if you want to walk through what you think the the idea there is. I can give you a view of why he did that. I, I struggle with the Ozil at halftime, unless he was picking on him for not tracking back on the goal. There was a couple of instances where he didn't track back and get, get gold side when they got chances. And maybe he thought, you know what, I need to add some more defensive awareness in this position. Now, you can go one or two ways, right? You can say, you can change your pattern of play. You can say, okay, rather than lots of square passes across the midfield and defence, with, with Brighton sitting in trying to cut off passing lanes, how about we go back to front and then we do this we go on the second ball and we build from there just miss out the first line of defense right so but he chose to react to the fact that we weren't tracking and he took off a player that was doing okay but he wasn't he wasn't creating much but others will always give you the impression that he could create something and that's his skill set right we've all seen him do something magical and while he's on the pitch that could happen at any moment there's been many many games he stayed on the pitch when it hasn't happened Right, so and we think. Yeah, by the way, I don't think well, he was very good in this game. I mean, for for all the yeah. hair pulling about you know him coming off, you certainly wouldn't say he had you know earned the right to stay on based on the no. first forty five. 
No, he hadn't. But again, names give comfort, didn't they, Elliot, right? Names give you comfort what they could do. And the quality of player, you know, between the Wobie and Ozil, we know that the quality of Ozil is, is higher. But in a game where you're getting, you know, football is the game of running, I'm afraid. And if your man runs away from you and gets in on goal and gets shots on crosses, we're going to concede. It doesn't matter how talented you are. And if he saw that, he may have reacted to that. I would not have done that at halftime, if it was me. I would have said, you know, be wary of this. Let's change our pan. And let's make sure we haven't got Mesut Ozil running backwards. Let's make sure we've got him running forwards. So Mesut, make some runs down the side. Make them react to you. Lacazette, you drop him for a moment. Let Ozil go higher. And let let his man then let his man follow him for a bit. Then he can come back in, switch round again, and we get a bit of um, we get a bit of space. But he chose to make a change there. I understand, you know, again for the three five two. I said earlier that we weren't penetrating down the sides. I don't know what Colosseum has become almost brilliant for us. But uh, am I the, am I the only one who thought he was passive? I thought he was very passive in his movements. And um, we've we're starting to well, look to look, him and I, rely I, on him. I, my 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 response to that would simply be that I think what he offers in a back four is different from what he offers in a back three. And for large portions of the game, we were in the back four, and I don't think he looked as comfortable. Yeah, but when when you do a back four with three all round defensive passing midfielders that can cover defensively, surely that's given the license to push on. He, I'm just saying he didn't. It, he didn't seem like it. He didn't, he didn't seem, seem to like have it. That. And, and a part of it is he didn't have the partner next to him. You know, when we've played the back three, there's been that person, you know, within three or four yards of him that he plays the overlaps with, that he, that he yeah. you know, connects with. He, he was, most of the passes that he received going up the wings seemed like they were long balls. You know, there, weren't, there wasn't yeah. someone that he was creating that, that overlap partnership with on, on the wing. And maybe that comes back to the type of midfielders that we had on the day. And we were still trying to play through them when really they want the game in front of them, right? So, you know, Shaka's the one that will come and get it and then progress it. If you block off his lane, the other two want, they want to go and get the game in front of them. So we didn't really have, you know, that, you know, that Iwobi type, Mikatarian type that gets it, carries it, connects it with the wing back or the full back. And so maybe that's what he was trying to do when he brought Iwobi on. I, I would have changed our pattern rather than changing the personnel and kept the personnel on a little bit longer. Um, especially as I don't think many of us think Ozil's going to play at the weekend in a game where there's high intensity. And I, at the moment, he's not showing, you know, he's not showing us that he can cope with that level of intensity that's going to happen at Anfield. But I could be wrong. So that was a strange one. Going to the back three again, I think it's all about fullback penetration, bringing on Maitland Niles. I think he wanted to recreate the devastation down the sides that he's sort of gone to. And I think we'll go to that the weekend as well. And, and I just think he, he, he tried to recreate that, but while he was doing that, I actually think he was looking for a pattern of play, but while he was taking off certain people, he was actually depowering us. And I thought he got that wrong. I did not see Lacazette slowing down. I, if you were a, a Brighton defender, you'd have been cheering when he went off because now you haven't got two people dying around. You've got one person to fix on. So as Lacazette went off, Aubameyang's danger index went down and we started to create less and less chances. So it didn't work. And then you think about over us, you know, there's 19 games gone so far. So Emery's made over 50 know, well over 50 substitutions. And we've scored the most goals from substitutes of any other team in the Premier League. And we have been eulogising over his changes, over how he sees games, how he can tactically read a game. But maybe we discovered at the weekend he's not perfect. 
Well, right, let me ask you the question then. I mean, do you think that there is a fine line that he may be crossing between a willingness to respond to what he sees on the pitch and an ability to create a clear enough philosophy from the start that you don't always need to make the changes. And and, and look, I, I am fully aware of the irony that we were crying out for a manager that was flexible, that would respond, that would make changes. For years and years, we wanted that. The only thing I would say, you mentioned Klopp, uh, Guardiola, and Pochettino earlier. And, yeah. and we have to say that off the top of your head, first thing that comes to mind, each one of them is identified with a philosophy that's very clearly theirs. They are all flexible enough to make adjustments within it, but they have a clear philosophy. I'm not convinced that Emery has demonstrated that yet and that his philosophy seems to be trying whatever he thinks might fit for that game. And this was a game where that four diamond two and then switching to the back three and the changes in the subs, the players didn't look confident of what they were supposed to be doing to me. It looked like there was a disconnect. And I want to read you something that 7 a.m. kickoff wrote. We're going to take a break momentarily to talk to Scott and to sell you some lingerie, and then we are going to look ahead to the Liverpool game, so that's all coming. But 7 a.m. kickoff wrote... In his uh, latest article, Arsenal's leading creator last season was Mesut Ozil. From open play, he made 2.8 shots per game, 3.0 per 90. His numbers are down to 1.7 per 90, and he's not alone. All of Arsenal's numbers are down in terms of chance creation. Key passes are down from 11.7 to 9.6. Shots are down from 15.6 to 12.7. Big chances are down from 2.5 per game to 1.9. And the XG per game is down from 2 to 1.5. So let me ask you this question. I think every single fan supporting Arsenal would have 1,000% sympathy with Unai Emery for struggling to get a defense that's this lacking in talent, and especially now to the injuries, organized and and improved. I have absolutely no problem with us struggling defensively given the, the crisis we're facing. I think the frustration is coming from the fact that he does not seem to be able, be able might be too strong, is that he seems to be struggling to make use of the best uh, tools that he has in his toolbox, which is the attackers, to build a coherent, sustainable attack that that game in, game out seems to have you know, an identity about how it wants to create chances. And so what I would ask you is, are you at all disappointed with, or you know, did this game concern you at all, that maybe he just doesn't have a feel for how he wants to get the team attacking it. I think um, I think that's maybe the fans haven't got that feel yet, and we haven't seen anything consistent. And philosophies do evolve. I mean, Klopp's gone from his four-three-three to a much more we've got the ball now because teams fear us, and he's played a lot more of a four-two-three-one. He's been moving Salah around in centre-four situations, and and he's developed his philosophy a little bit. And they, they're not doing so much pressing because they have the ball. Because teams are scared of them. So they're dropping away. So philosophies change. I, I feel you've got to have a, a, a flexible philosophy. I, I must admit that. I think you have core principles. And I think he has core principles around work rate, competitiveness, uh, speed in wide areas. But when it comes down to it, he hasn't got all of his players. And the two players that are key to our creativity, one potentially could be going in in January and one we, we're not sure about what the relationship is and doesn't play every week right so as for having the ball and creating sometimes our best creation is coming from transitions and length for the pitch type moves or fullbacks creating after we've won the ball high up right so and maybe that's the way he wants to play he wants to have much more aggression and off the ball work 
to receive the ball and catch teams in a disorganised way, which is very much what, what Spurs do. They, they don't flow and create. They put the ball into areas. They win the ball high up. And they, they're very ruthless in shooting around the edge of the area. They're very, you know, they're very percentage-wise with crosses. They put the ball in early. They put the ball into areas early. They shoot a lot. So percentage-wise, they will get their they will get their goals. At the moment, all their shots are going in, so they're looking great. But without Ericsson, there's no creativity there. But they're making shot chances and their their shot, their shot conversion is really really good at the moment. And I see us heading towards maybe that style, with a lot more pressing and aggression and ball carrying in in midfield second balls in midfield with strikers that are deadly and it, and it's a change it's a change of culture it's a, it's a change of philosophy i think the fullbacks going to play an important part much like spurs fullbacks do and it's funny that the, the two managers are, are are very good friends they are very good friends the spurs manager and the um, arsenal manager and i think i can see us heading towards that style of game and it comes back to trust do the fans trust Emery to do this and to do this he's going to have to get rid of some people that we like a lot and he better get it right because there's a lot of people that like some of these players and and they'll be watching his every move right and that's yeah, why I quoted that's why I quoted Liverpool players are no, are no longer there no one cares about those players that have gone anymore because they're doing better and so that's what he needs to do he needs to do better if certain players go well and and to be fair I mean, it may be that we don't see a clear philosophy right now because the players he have he has don't fit the philosophy he would ideally select. So for right now, he's tinkering with what is a very imbalanced squad. I mean, if we want to be really, really fair to Emery, this is a tremendously imbalanced squad. And there is no formation that's going to tease the perfect solution out of this squad. So... You know, it's not an easy job he's been given. And maybe, you know, the Ar- Arsene Wenger solution was play all the attackers and hope to outscore the opposition and defense be damned. Um, and Emery might say, I'm not willing to go that route. I think there's a better route. And, and he's still working on developing it. Let's do this. Uh, let's get you set up with some fine silk panties and things of that nature. Um, and then uh, talk to Scott. Uh, I understand he has strong takes on this game, which should be interesting. I'm glad that he and he and Clive are separated by a break. Uh, and then we'll come back. We'll talk final thoughts on this match, where it leaves us, and then we're going to look ahead to Liverpool. So stay with us. There's more to come after this. Okay, it's time to tell you about our friends at EnclosedLingerie.com. That's Enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, Lingerie, L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, EnclosedLingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month, but every month you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship. That doesn't happen on its own. It takes time, it takes energy and effort, and this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee, so size will never be an issue, and you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married, I have a toddler, um, I have a great relationship with my wife, but I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on, especially as time goes by and your family grows. 
So this is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift, and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness, that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now, enclosedlingerie.com, and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. Okay, we're back. Hopefully you have all the lingerie you need. And I am now here with a man who is going to give you, uh, it says here, opinions about the match. Scott was very clear with me. He has thoughts and opinions about this match. So we are excited to hear those thoughts and opinions uh, and see the ways in which they might differ from Clive's thoughts and opinions. Not that anyone cares how they might differ or uh, align with my thoughts and opinions. And anyway, Scott, uh, any event, Scott is here. He is on Twitter at uh, O underscore that underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeah! I like that you leaned into it this time. You'd had a few uneven performances, but unlike the Arsenal, you you really nailed it this time. So thank you for that. I, I was worried about fatigue setting in because I am getting over a, a pretty hard cold. So well, I, we, I'm glad that I was able to do it. We have been really good with the squad rotation. And I think you've been you know in and out of the squad the right amount of time to keep your opinions fresh and your intro hot. And so we're, we're glad to have it. Let's do this. Let's... um. Let's start with the statistics just real quick. The XG for this match, not one of our best. What was the total overall XG for the game? So I had uh, Brighton at 1.46, Arsenal at 0.72, and almost all of Arsenal's XG came in the first half, unsurprisingly, when you only have one shot in the second half. Um, And Arsenal's last shot in the game came at the 49th minute by an Alexander Lacazette, who didn't even finish the game. So after the 49th minute, we had no shots? That's correct. No shots on target or no shots, period? No shots, period. So and our, that 49th shot was blocked, so it didn't even have a chance to you know, trouble the goalkeeper. I'm going to give you an example of, I'm like a human computer. I'm going to say, now tell me if I'm correct about this, that our XG from 49 minutes to 90 minutes was zero. That's correct. Like I said, human computer. Okay, well, that's pretty ugly stuff. I mean, let's do this. Let's talk qualitatively for a bit. I mean, I know that you are a believer that Emery has not freshened the team in the proper way through this busy period, through the League Cup, through the Europa League group stage? I mean, to what extent do you think that fatigue is playing a role in sort of the deterioration of the the improvement we've seen? Because I think it was fair to say around Bournemouth Spurs, we had started to peak. Our underlying metrics were improving. There seemed to be um, you know, a proper balance in the squad. And from that time, it started to decline again. I mean, to what extent do you attribute that to fatigue? I think that you can probably look at a, a pretty good amount. So one of the things that I think has changed under Emery is that he has gotten Arsenal to be a more aggressive team. Um, looking at this performance, this was um, the lowest number of tackles that are game and the little, the to- lowest total of defensive actions in a match. Um, and it's not really that Brighton didn't try to attack us because they did so there were certainly opportunities for arsenal to attack but there wasn't really any sort of a press uh there wasn't really anything coordinating going on nobody really seemed to be in the match especially when you know arsenal's playing three you know quote-unquote holding players in midfield you'd expect to see a little bit more from them um i think terrera is looking tired guenduzzi's probably played more than he's ever played in a season it's only the halfway point, uh, Jack has basically played every minute of the Premier League except for when he was suspended. So I think that there's been a lot of minutes racked up on a lot of legs, and it's really showing, especially in the defensive numbers, um, where the, they didn't do nearly as much as they've done in the past. And I think that was something that, that really hurt them. 
Yeah, in this I, game. I know you don't track the running stats, but I, I'd be curious to know if those align with that as well, because defensive actions is one measure of sort of the intensity of the players and running stats are another. And I wouldn't be surprised if those were down as well. Of course, we don't know. But um, what, what I would say then is, you know, if if a lack of freshness is a problem in terms of the intensity with which we're pressing and harrying and creating sort of broken play and transitional play opportunities. An- another problem is coming from just a-, a lack of any clear cohesive strategy to building play right now. Um, how much of that do you think is down to the change, constant need to change formation due to defensive injuries and things like that, making it difficult for the players to really settle into a rhythm building play? I, I don't know if that's necessarily the, the problem so much. I, I think part of it is that we are only playing with three attackers. So, you know, anytime we go into a, a match lately, it's been, you know, with three midfielders, uh, two wingbacks, and three forward players. So this one was the same. It was the, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang in the duo be with Ozil behind. But there wasn't uh, that fourth player to help combined. And I think that was really, really something that is needed in this because Brighton really just sat back and made it so that there wasn't space between. And, you know, with the three holding players, they just don't have the same creativity as, you know, someone like a a Ramsey would um, if he was playing in the midfield three with them. Well, they're not really in a position to even make that final ball, you know, creatively from those positions, right? I mean, there was a lot of short passing, a lot of uh, lateral, you know, square passes, backward passes from Shaka, Torreira, Ganduzi. Ganduzi would step up and try to make a pass, but this is the other well, and, problem. Well, you know, he, he did have that one great pass to Aubameyang. <clears throat> yeah, so did Torreira. That's just so, it's just so hard to do that consistently when there's only those three forward well, players there. For too. the obvious reason. I mean, if the ball's on the halfway line, and there's only two attackers because, you know, Ozil's kind of dropping in a little. The defenders don't have a lot to keep track of. You know, they, they don't, you're not making it that tough, tough for them. I mean, it's, it's a testament to Aubameyang's running that he was able to find ways to beat that back line. But they really only had two guys to concentrate on. So if that was the case, if you think, Scott, that our, our lack of dynamism is purely a numerical issue down to having fewer attackers on the pitch, then how do you explain the substitution patterns? I can't. Okay. Uh, well, it's great talking. No, I mean, <laughs> like, what do you think for Emery, first of all, the, the decision to take Ozil off at halftime? I mean, this is a player that clearly he is in some kind of battle of wills with. I think it is fair to say that. And I don't think Ozil was having a brilliant game in the first half. So, we, you know, we have to step back and say, are we aggravated that he got taken off because of the name of the player or the performance of the player? But the decision to do that, I mean, has ramifications that go beyond this game. And I also think, you know, my one theory about halftime subs is, you know, it's great that he's willing to do it when the game needs to be changed. But to some extent, attacking players, maybe more than any anyone else on the pitch, they need an hour, 70 minutes, 80 minutes to figure it out. Because, you know, football is a game where sometimes one goal is, is all it takes to win. And it, it you don't get chances every single minute of the game. And attacking players sometimes need time to figure out where the holes are, figure out where the spaces are, figure out where the op- options are. And as we saw against Burnley... You know, Mesut can influence the game in two individual moments. So, I mean, do you think that he got it wrong taking Ozil off? But also, do you think the philosophy behind halftime changes maybe undermines the success of attacking players? Yeah, I I, I think that there's a, a double-edged sword to doing the, the halftime subs. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a message that gets sent to the players that, you know, nobody's too big to come off, that, you know, you can do this, that anybody, if you're not having a good game, anybody's, you know, coming off. But it's also 
is it causing people to not take chances? Is it causing people to not do things because it's like, if I mess up, am I going to be pulled? Um, I think in this game, it's it's pretty easy to say that almost any of our forwards, you know, maybe, I mean, Aubameyang was able to create shots, Lacazette was doing a little bit, but could could any of them really have said that they were great? Besides, I guess Aubameyang could. But, but why, I mean, why couldn't it have been you know a woe before Ganduzi and you go to more of a four two three one and get the extra attacker on and move Ozil more into a, a traditional number ten role and play one of Aubameyang or Lacazette more wide? I mean, you know, or a four two 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 for that matter. I mean, what? Why the specific decision to go Ozil for a Wobi? I mean, even if you're trying to prove a point with Ozil. You all you've done is really reduced the amount of end product in your team. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that as a, an attacker, you want to see um, a chance to go against uh, more tired players. So if Ozil, you know, only gets 45 minutes against these guys, they're still going to be relatively fresh. You know, he needs to be able to find space. And, you know, maybe if they're a, a step late, you know, at the 50th minute or 60th minute after chasing Arsenal for 60 minutes, then he gets that extra half second to be able to find a pass. But, you know, 45 minutes, maybe that that chance doesn't come. So I think that you do need to give attacking players a little bit more time, especially creative players that need to be able to find space, especially for, you know, a pack defense that the Brighton had, where I think that was something that was was really hard to to find in this game was the space. And I think if you look at the the passing maps, especially in the second half, almost all of our advancement was through the wingbacks. Uh, there was almost zero passes that were right there um, in the center of the pitch. And that's where, you know, you want your number 10 to be able to find space. Um, Awobi did not have, um, you know, much luck finding space, too. I think he had 23 touches total in the match. So it's not like he was, you know, coming on and having a great game. So what does that say to the players that that come on? You know, is he going to be the next guy that's only going to losing his confidence in the, the team? And I, it, it's a it's a very tough thing that I think that that Emery's kind of pushed himself into. Being a substitute is a very specialized kind of role, and not everybody is suited to it. I mean, I, I think there are some players who can come on who add a burst of pace, you know, an explosiveness, a certain characteristic that can change a game. The big man who heads it down, you know, the way Fellaini is used um, at United or was by Jose or the way Giroud was used for us when he was a substitute. You know, players with a specific characteristic that changes an aspect of the game. But I think the starting attacking players need that extra time, you know, to find the solutions, to, to figure it out, to, to pick the lock. It doesn't happen that quickly. Um, you know, and halftime is an opportunity to tweak what they're doing and let them get back out there with that, that little tweak, that little freshness, and and see if they can solve that problem. I don't know. I, I just, you know, again, I, I'm not killing Emery for this. I realize that it is something that he's done very effectively at times this season. But I'm starting to wonder if maybe all the chopping and changing and subbing um, is causing some players to struggle. I mean, if you look at the one player who's in form right now for us, it's Aubameyang. And what does he have going for him? He's basically playing his preferred position for 90 minutes every game. And... He's scoring a goal, you know, and that's how it works. And I just, you know, I think you look at Lacazette. Lacazette was our informed player for a couple of months because of what was happening. He was playing 90 minutes at striker every game. You know, if you give players 90 minutes at their at their preferred position, they tend to thrive. I, you know, I, I, I'm starting to have concerns about the way Emery is approaching, you know, the, the attacking side of the game, especially against smaller teams. The decision to take off Lacazette worried me. I mean, we finished the game with really one proven goal scorer on the pitch in a game where we needed a goal. So, you know, I mean, you could say Aaron Ramsey's a proven goal scorer of sorts, but I wouldn't think so. I mean, do you have concerns, Scott, that maybe... Look, when Arsene Wenger's team bogged down when it didn't work, 
we had this sort of sterile possession in the final third where we did a lot of horseshoe passing. What seems like the case is with Emery's teams is when it's not working for Emery, the sterile possession is in the middle of the pitch, you know, the middle third. Um, exactly. Do, do you have concerns that maybe there's a little bit of conservatism showing through or that he hasn't really figured out how to get the most of it from us as an attacking force yet? I, I'm very concerned about that because I think that was something that I was very concerned about um, even uh, you know earlier in the week against Burnley where Arsenal got out to a, a lead and then they really did just kind of sit on it. They looked to let Burnley have the ball and play on the counter and it's like Burnley are in, in the bottom half of the table. They're in the relegation zone. They're, and this they're bad. Team, they're really they're, bad. They're, <laughs> well, and Brighton are not much better either. They, I think Brighton and Burnley and Fulham are giving up the most shots per game. And Arsenal came in and basically made them look like peak Chelsea back when Jose Marino was in his prime. Like they just could not get anything like going against this team. And this is supposed to be, you know, Arsenal's bread and butter. We're supposed to have attacking talent. We're supposed to be worried about our defense. And I think that that's something that um, Emery is definitely trying to cover for the defense too much. And he's almost really kind of neutered the offense to a certain degree. It's almost what uh, Jose Mourinho was doing to Manchester United, yeah. where he was, you know, trying to build, you know, fix a leaky defense by making it so his offensive players couldn't do and, anything. And I don't have a problem with that if it's at Anfield, if it's at Stamford Bridge, where you're like, you know what, discretion is a better part of valor here. But, you know, if you want to be in a top four battle, which we certainly need to be in, you've got to take max points off the Brightons and Burnleys and Huddersfields and, you know, that Southamptons. Those those games have to be three points, and you get there with a more attacking approach. Um, you know, sort of a, a last two questions here. The first one is just about his philosophy. Um, you know, I look at Sari, I look at Pep, Pochettino, uh, you know, the Klopp. They are all managers who have very clear ideas about how they want their team to play. They are flexible within that framework, but they have clear ideas. One thing that's sort of making the rounds on social media right now is a debate about Emery not really instituting any clear philosophy right now. And going back and forth, some people saying, you know, it's a huge problem. He's tinkering too much. He's subbing too much. He's changing formations too much. It's interfering with cohesion and, and development of any kind of system. And other people saying, you know, look at Klopp. Klopp's team finished eighth his first season. Granted, he inherited that team mid-season. Uh, they finished fourth in his first full season. But it did take him time to get his players in to figure out how he was going to play in the Premier League and ultimately ascend to what is now, you know, a team that could potentially be competing for the title and very much is competing for the title. So, I mean, where do you fall on this? Is is the lack of a clear philosophy a cause for concern or is it understandable given that he's inherited a very imbalanced team that wasn't of his making? I I, I want to give him time. I, I, I really do because, you know, it's only been, what, six months that he's been with the club. But it is a little bit concerning to not see at least the, the starting of an idea of what um, the philosophy is. It seems like it's going to be a, a possession-based kind of philosophy, but it's very pragmatic and a lot more conservative than we're used to. And it's something that I don't think really fits the team as it is right now. Um, I think one of the, the best things that you can do um, is maximize your strengths instead of trying to increase your weakness, instead of trying to improve your weaknesses by a marginal amount, especially if that comes at a cost of your strengths, I think it's better to maximize your strengths and really just try to use that as your, your main thing to attack people with. Because um, if Arsenal were to go into this game and basically say, hey, we're going to be open, but we're going to try to score four goals, see if you can beat that, 
I, I think that's going to be, you know, what, probably 12 out of the 20 teams in the league, that's going to be good enough. I mean, there's the, the top six teams that maybe that that doesn't work against, maybe a, a handful of other teams that you can't do that with. Well, but. and then you can change your strategy. You know, I mean, then then you can tinker, then you can, you know, develop a specific game plan. I mean, there's no saying you, you have to do one or the other, right? I mean, it can be a mix. Um, so that leads me to my final question, which is we go to Anfield. It's not the best time to be facing them. We can't defend. We are struggling uh, attacking, we are without any real defenders. I mean, it's Koscielny and Socrates and then Yumi and whoever else. So what do you think, what approach do you think he'll favor for this game and how do you see it going? I, I'm, I'm concerned because, you know, Liverpool are in really good form right now and they seem to be um, really kind of working together. They've, <coughs> excuse me, um, better in their new signings. Uh, Fabinho's looking better. Uh, Keita's starting to, to round into form. Shakiri's looking good. So they've actually rotated pretty well um, on the squad that they've built. So I think they're actually going to be pretty fresh um, going into this game. So I think it's going to be a, a tough one. Um, I think that Arsenal are going to go with the, the three in the back, um, probably the three defensive midfielders again. Uh, so it'll probably be like a, a three-five-two or three, something like similar to that. I'm not sure exactly what it'll be, but I'm, I'm not expecting a lot from this game. Um, so I'm hoping for a draw. I would take that. Yeah, bite your hand off for that. And I mean, look... I said this early in the podcast, and I think it bears repeating. You can have cons- look. He's now been here six months, so we're starting to learn some things about him. We don't know everything about him. We don't know what players he thinks we need to be complete. His English still isn't fantastic, which is not a criticism, by the way. He's gotten a lot more English down than most managers in six months, but or most humans in six months. But um, because of that, his press conferences don't really give us the kind of information that we might be able to get you know, if he was able to communicate his ideas a little more solidly. So, you know, we're still learning. And it is fair to have concerns, criticisms, questions, doubts that have arisen from what we've seen to this point without it being, you know, somehow that you're killing the guy. I just think that, especially if you're going to, you know, talk to people in a pub or on Twitter or on a podcast, it's totally fair to debate what you think of the guy. So let's not freak out. But, you know, I think some of the concerns were are starting to crystallize in a lot of people's minds and then they're expressing them. And I think that's part of the process of learning a new manager. And I think Scott, you've articulated them really well and you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes from here. So I'll take the draw if you'll hand it to me, but uh, we will definitely come back with a podcast after the Liverpool game to discuss what I'm sure will be a pretty comfortable victory. In any event, Scott's on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore crab. Thanks Scott. Thank you. Okay. We're going to take a break. We'll come back with more Clive and nothing but the Clive after this. Um, now that we've gotten Scott's, Scott's ranting and raving out of the way and we've got everybody dressed in sexy, intimate apparel, uh, just some final closing thoughts in this game. I mean, I, I think one thing that was clear to me when Maitland-Niles came on uh, for Licksteiner, was it for Licksteiner, right? Yeah, I, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think he had a particularly fantastic cameo because he, he didn't get things completely right, but just the infusion of pace and athleticism, I think you saw how much we're missing Bellerin in that moment. You know, I appreciate Lick Steiner putting in the effort and the work he's tried to do as one of the center backs in a back three. Um, I think we really miss that that pace and that running uh, uh, at right fullback. I mean, do you think it is maybe time, if we're going to have to stick with this for a while, that he goes away from Lick Steiner and maybe gives Maitland-Niles a longer run in the squad? Yeah, I think he Maitland-Niles has only played two or three games from the start, I believe. 
have to remember he broke his leg and he's been out, so his season is very, very young. And so he looks he looks promising in moments and then rusty in other moments. And I think he was rested in some of the one of the earlier games I saw him go down in cramp, I think against Carrier Bag. And so he's he's just getting back to his to his top levels, right? So he's not there yet. And he was properly rested for this game. And I almost hundred percent sure he'll play at the weekend because we need that speed. You know, Liverpool are not a slow team, so I don't think you can put Lichsteiner out in a full-back, in a back-four situation against Mane. Well, I, well, I wouldn't. <laughs> so let's see what happens. I think I think we, we may go back three, depending on who's fit, and I think we'll have Colasinic and, and Maitland-Niles in wide areas. The Lichsteiner signing now is getting a little bit of questioning. It was always a strange one. I think it's all about mentality. It's all about those moments in the season where we needed a leader on the pitch. He also wasn't and, supposed to be playing this much. Let's face it, right? I mean, he was supposed to yeah. be a, a when Bellerin wasn't their rotational kind of option, not a, not a yeah. starting center back. <laughs> not a starting center back, and it comes back to injury. And you know the the heady days of you know the Spurs game. If you just name that team and the health of that team, it was, it was just better. It was better balance people in the right areas. We made good changes on the day. The club was motivated, and we won the game. But it feels like that was our World Cup final, and we felt like a plucky team. And since then, Spurs have won five on the trot, and we and we haven't, right? So yeah, they're really starting to piss me off. <laughs> yeah, and, and <laughs> on that day, five and six I, I, in game. <laughs> on that day, we were better than them, legitimately better than them, not a plucky FA Cup type victory. But, but we, we did it by outscoring them. You know what I mean? Like we we took we the did. game to them in the attacking half, and I you know I think that there's something instructive about that. We had to score four goals to win that game. Well, three goals to win it. We wound up scoring four. I mean, isn't there yeah. something instructive about that? Yeah, and that comes back to our earlier point, Elliot. We we missed those key chances, so it's not like we're blaming those players, but we know we have a problem in defence. We know we're not going to keep clean sheets, so we do need those goals to go in, and we I think we need to be a bit braver to get those goals because we're just not going to do it currently until we get signings to come in and if signings do come in they're going to need time to settle so for me it's almost if you it's almost easier to solidify the center of your pitch to try to protect your back line and i think that's what he's trying to do knowing we haven't got the right players in the right health because is out there but he's not quite at his level yet listiner's in too many wide spaces with no one around him, and his speed is not his number one attribute. Maitland-Niles is a, is a utility player that many of us feel is a centre midfielder, but he can run fast, so we put him at fullback. Now we're asking him to play wing-back. He can do that role. Um, Colosinic, somebody that I questioned whether he's good enough for the club. Uh, two weeks ago, he was basically our best player, creatively. And he had to have a quiet game when we were all concerned about him again, right? So he needs to have a big game on the weekend because we're not going to win without him. So um, we're just lacking the players. We're just missing the rotation options. We're lacking the power at both ends of the pitch to keep our star players fresh. And we're just looking a little bit on going for a down patch. And we're drawing games that we would normally win. I think the Southampton one, I think we should have drew that game. I think that was uh, we walked into the room at the wrong time, and they got a new manager bounce, and we were we were just ambushed. That should have been a, a, a two-two draw. Um, but this game at the weekend, we should have beaten Brighton. We were good enough to beat Brighton, and that's a that's two points dropped. So for me, we're three points down 
where we should be. Well, with those, I don't disagree. The only thing I would say about being good enough to be Brighton is we didn't create anything. I mean, that's the thing that frustrates me, Clive. Like, I am, I am totally open to the idea that we're going to concede chances while we're going through this crisis of personnel and not, you know, we didn't have the best personnel to begin with. But I just have a really hard time reconciling having whatever it was one shot in the last 70 minutes of a match at Brighton or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think our XG after we scored the goal was something like 0.2 or something like that. So, you know, I... Yeah, he depowered us, and I don't really get it. I don't. Was he saving something? I may mean, I've thought this through, and I just, I just can't see why well, right. he took Lacazette off that pitch. I can't see the reason for doing it. I can see the other reason for the for the you know Lichtsteiner for Maitland Niles. I can see potentially why he would have took Ozil off, but I wouldn't have done it at half time. You know, I've done it over now another ten, fifteen minutes. Uh, I would give him a chance to to get us going, to get hold of this game again. But he took him off, and I think that was that to me was a little bit of a shock. But you know the, what? These are a players lot that of can have the, the, the really, cr- really worked. Yeah, look, I mean, look, we we talked about this ironically at the Burnley game uh, after the Burnley game, which is that Mesut Ozil, you know, wasn't maybe at his scintillating best, but he had two contributions that led to two goals that wound up winning us the game. And you know, Aubameyang maybe is guilty of not doing much other than scoring goals and Ozil's maybe guilty of not doing much other than just creating goal scoring chances. You know, we, we joke about these things, but you know, I think when I look at our team, we tend to think we have a lot of attacking talent, but we really have two players that are reliable goal scorers, Lacazette and Aubameyang. And we really have one reliable chance creator and that's Mesut Ozil. Um, you know, it's been Kolasinac this season, but you know, and so I think in games against the lesser teams, I, if there's a lesson that Emery maybe needs to learn and learn very quickly, it's that in the Premier League against lesser teams, you just have to out-talent them in the attacking half and put, you know, put goals past them and get three points. And you know what's ironic is I think his best coaching this season has been in big games. I think he, he has been very clever with the approaches and the game plans and the way he's managed through big games this season. Even though you know we started the season with some disappointments, I thought there were silver, silver linings in those performances. It's against think, some of the smaller teams. You know, it's yeah. it's the drab game against West Ham and against Newcastle and against Southampton and against Bournemouth in this game, the Huddersfield game, which wasn't a particular classic. I don't know that he's figured out yet that against those teams, you just need to drop the gas pedal and and have your attacking players out there overwhelm the opposition. And, you know, do, do you think maybe there's just something to the idea that he he hasn't fully appreciated the extent to which you just have to punish them? And it's ironic because at PSG, you know, that's kind of what it was, right? Just put your best talent out there and get three points against smaller teams. Yeah, I'm not sure, right? But you say we we need to punish them, then let's just scroll back to where we started, right? We missed we missed a straight on open goal to go two 0 up, yeah. right? And two 0 up that changes everything, like that changes everything at that point, and the game has a completely different story. So that's not me defending him. That's just you know we're sitting here and we've scored one less goal than Liverpool. But the situation is we've conceded 25 and they've conceded seven. Right? So if you look at us, that's where the problem is. Right? Yeah. So he's trying to fix that. He's looking at our numbers and thinking, okay, I'm struggling here. I've got defenders that are creaking, old, hamstrings, um, recovery. I've got Achilles recovery. I've got one set the back that's fit and he's 30 years of age. And I'm playing him every three days. And, and, I, and I've got, you know, I've, I'm in a bit of a problem. So... What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to protect them, and you guys and, uh, and we got to we got to understand that 
he wasn't doing this when we had all our defenders fit and fresh and we could you know, we could play Torreira and Shaq in centre midfield and we could do things. I think other teams are looking at Arsenal now and, and looking at our changes. So what's massively changed? For me, the biggest change this year, OK, has been our directness and how we've used our fullbacks, but the biggest change has been our centre midfield. The whole dynamic of that centre midfield partnership had made people look up and, think, and take notice. The way we destroyed Spurs was a, it was a centre midfield masterclass that did that, right? So, so what teams are doing now? They're filling those spaces. They're standing in lines. I noticed against Southampton, they stood in those areas and blocked off our ability to play through the centre midfield. So they're forcing us to go longer, and we don't want to take it. We we want to keep trying to play, and so we're playing in the wrong areas. If teams are forcing us to go longer, I'll say, you know what? I'll have that. I'll take that and I'll say, all right, Aubameyang, Lacazette, I want you to work. Work the channels, take this ball there, recycle it, and we hurt teams and we get onto their back four really, really quickly. If you can't if you can't win the ball, make sure you buy us a foul and we start from there. Right? And we start to play in areas where people don't want us to be. What we have to do is not keep playing to our pattern regardless. We have to take what's on offer and we're not doing that at the moment. And that's why we're not creating because we're getting picked off too high up. So what we were doing to teams, they're now doing to us and we are now not getting chances because we're working back to defend and track. When we do get the ball forward, our, our men are isolated and that's why we're not creating. It's not down to individuals. It's down to the story of the game and how teams are reacting to our improvement. So if you see that situation now, I think we've improved. Torreira suddenly is not having man of the match performances any longer. Guendouzi is getting questioned. And Shaka, even though Shaka's in midfield for much of this game, he was very, very quiet. And because teams are now in that area, they're making us work in that area because that's where the connection is to our forwards. And I think we have to adjust to that. And that is the story of football. Now, there's a desperation I can hear in your voice, Elliot, to see the philosophy. Yeah, there is. But, that, yep, but 100%. I, I, I personally, I have no desperation. What I want to see is our ability to react to problems that are presented to us on the pitch. And at the moment, we can't because we haven't got the right players with the right skill sets to do it at the right level of quality. And I'm concerned about the quality of player that we have at the moment to take us forward. We are too heavily reliant on Alex Iwobi and he's falling down at the moment. Mkhitaryan, one of our top paid players, is now out for six weeks. We've lost our third striker, so we're heavily reliant on two strikers. And we can't play them both for 90 minutes in case we lose one of them. And we're pissing one of them off at the moment because he's not getting the minutes he deserves. Our franchise player, we're not sure about. We're not sure if he's part of the future or not. The second franchise player, in many people's eyes, he's leaving the club either in January or in June. And so we're in a, we're in a bit of a situation. And we're, we're coming to the moment of truth, mate. I always said January would be busy. I, I, I didn't think it'd be this seminal. It needs to be busy now. Now people are not questioning January. They're thinking we want nothing in January. Now we're thinking we, ha we have to do something in January. Or well, this season could peter away very, very quickly. Manchester United are six points behind us and we're playing Liverpool away on Saturday. And I think they've got, they've got, I think it's Bournemouth at home, I think they've got on the weekend. And so that could be three points quite easily. So that's three points away from being in sixth. At the moment, most of our numbers say we're the fifth best team. 
but we can improve, but we need to improve. It needs to happen outside of this squad and getting certain people back to health. Fortunately, we got a pretty easy FA Cup game, touch wood. We can get some energy back in the month of January, but I, I do think we need some assistance, mate. We need to make some decisions because these, these indecisions around some of our key players is starting to cause discourse and starting to get people to challenge it. And there's nothing wrong with that, challenging the manager, challenging him, challenging his decisioning. But we're challenging him without knowing him and knowing what he represents, knowing what he wants to do, knowing where we are, not knowing how we're going to support him. We don't know this board. We don't know Vinny. We don't know Raul. We don't know what Sven's doing. We don't know what it's like under single ownership. This is the first transfer window. We're going to have all those things happening. It's going to be a very interesting journey to see what actual Arsenal represent and what they want to do going forward. Well, then let's finish with this. What are we going to do on Saturday? <laughs> what the flying fuck are we going to do on Saturday? Because, well, look, I know you are one who believes in culture and you believe in you know creating a winning culture and you know the the morale of the team and the morale of the supporters and where the club's going and how it feels and how it looks. And with January transfer window looming and wanting to make some moves, you want the stature of the club to you know ideally be propped up a little bit. I mean, yeah. on the one hand, you win at Liverpool and that can that can change a trajectory. I mean, they are top of the league. They are undefeated. You can you can really go a long way to, to changing the trajectory, at least, you know, beyond what the problems in the squad are. But if you lose and lose heavily, you can have the opposite effect. So, I mean, how concerned are you about this game coming at the time it has with the challenges we have to the squad, with the players we have out injured? And, you know, what do you think he will try to do to not just win the game, but prevent this from potentially being, a you know, a, a bad outcome? So I, I don't see the game ending that way any longer. Touch wood. I don't see those. <laughs> I don't want to see it's been replayed back to me. But when we went for that period of the five nils, the six ones, and all those games away from home against the top six teams, I don't see that. I, I think in every game this season we've been competitive. In every game, even though and me, you agree, Ellie, even the first game against City, we were we weren't that far away compared to the three nil at home last season. So. I don't see a reason why we can't be competitive. The worry is our defenders. We're not sure which ones are going to be fit, right? So, so we could end up. You know, I know that Mustafi's training on his own yesterday. Is he going to train with the group tomorrow? Is that enough to get him back? We could end up with our three most experienced defenders in Mustafi, Socrates, and Koscielny with Colasini and Maitland-Niles. That's not bad if they're healthy, right? Um, Monreal is close to being back. Personally, I'm. I think he's really creaking. So maybe that could be a situation where him and uh, Koscielny share the game because I don't think even and complain like me. It's at the moment. So that situation, we get our we get our midfield. It probably will be a midfield three or, or two with basically um, Iwobi in there, and I would have um, Lacazette and um, Aubameyang up front. Whether he goes Awobi, whether he goes Ramsey, whether he goes Ozil, I'm not so sure. But Shaq and Trail will start. I think Gwendouzi has played a lot of minutes. I think, although he's young and fit, I I think it's time to trust the maybe the experience of Ramsey and say, go out there. But if Ramsey's going to be leaving in, in January, then maybe the manager's saying, well, I can't put that deal at risk. So with the data that we know, I, I think Ramsey should play in this game. He's got experience of the environment. 
He can play a free role behind two strikers and really challenge Liverpool in, in running-wise and try to set the story of the game and we change the game later on. He doesn't really, as long as we have our two strikers on for as long as possible because that's the danger we have. That is the skill. We have to make Liverpool feel uncomfortable in their back line. If we don't, where they're feeling really comfortable at the moment, can see the least goals in the league. If we don't prick that confidence, we get room for a tough day, right? So um, that's what I would do. But let's see what happens on the on the fitness report. Yeah, well, I mean, what it's tough. <laughs> because obviously the part of me that thinks, you know, if there's a chance for us to win this match, it's by getting you know, a couple of goals from nothing, essentially, and, and riding our luck. They've conceded seven all season. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's not like they're leaky at the back. That was the thing about Liverpool under Klopp for the previous few years. They'd score goals, and they were tough to play against, but they were they were open at the back, and you could get at them, and that has not been the case. Um, that's, when they had, that's when they had Millionaire, Sacco, and Skirtle. Yeah. And guess what? He's changed that now to a £70 million goalkeeper and a £70 million centre-half. And guess what? They're not conceding goals. No. We're not, we're not there yet, mate. No, we're not but, there yet. you know... They they haven't faced the ferocity of Alex Awobi dribbling the ball at them at, at pace. <laughs> I bet they I bet they can't sleep. <laughs> They're shaking in their boots. Um, well, I, I think what I would do is I would go back to the back three. I mean, wh- whatever we think of the back three against the lesser teams, which I think has been an overly conservative approach, I think we've looked most coherent in that. I think the Bournemouth game and Spurs game back-to-back were two really encouraging performances where we had sort of a clear, coherent philosophy of how we were playing, and the, the players seemed very comfortable in it. I think you have to do whatever you can to get Shaka back into a midfield double pivot. It has not been working. At center back, he's been a disaster. He's not a center back. Um, he's, he's, try, he's done his best, but he's not a center back. And in this yeah. game in the diamond, he played 110 passes, and 106 of them were short. And most were backwards or sideways. That's not a Granite Shaka game. That's not what you want him doing. I think you have to go back to a double pivot of Torreira and Shaka in a back three. So I think you're going three, four, you know, two, one potentially. Maybe it's Ozil yeah. and Ramsey behind Aubameyang in the two, one. And maybe it's Torreira and Doozy and, and Maitland Niles and, and Kolasinac. And your back three is Koscielny, Socrates, and Licksteiner. I mean, I hate it, but we don't have a, a much better option. And you really pack those, you know, that, that midfield double pivot back, you know, in front, you know, right in front of the back three, and you try to guard the channels because obviously Sane and, and Salah are going to kill you running the channels, and that's that's just what we have to watch out for. I mean, Firmino's going to drop in. Maybe you man mark Firmino. Maybe you you have Torreira just follow Firmino around so he can't drop into space and collect and turn and play the runners in behind. I don't know. I mean, there's there's not a lot of great options, but I think I think at a minimum. You got to get Shaka back into a midfield du- double pivot where that he's been most effective. And I don't think I've seen us play a game, Clive, this season that we've been even halfway decent that didn't have Granite Shaka in a midfield double pivot. I mean, would you at least agree with that? <laughs> you know my thoughts on Shaka, right? Well, Just yeah. Giving give give the captain's armband to be done with his five captains, Lark, because he is the captain in all but name. And, um, and for me, that. That guy should be—he should be leading the club. But hey, that's just my opinion, right? But but um, I mean, you, I you agree did, that position I, is is where he's been most effective, right? I mean, I yeah, don't absolutely. think it's worked in any of these. Uh, and I realize the others are all emergency. Yeah, he's just doing a job for for the manager, right? He doesn't want to play left back against <laughs> against Crystal Palace and against you know Saka etc. He doesn't want to play against him. He doesn't want to play left centre half. He wants to play in centre midfield. He wants to run the game for us in centre midfield, like he does for. Every club he's played for and, and for his country, right? So 
we're just in a situation where he's having to cover. And I think he does a good job at covering. I worry about him less. But we lose we lose something because he's so good in midfield. And, you know, and then, you know, for, for all Gwen Doozy's, um how can I say, precociousness and personality and desire to get on the ball and leadership, he's still 19. He still can be naive. When he's protecting the ball, he, he, th- he thinks he's in France, he's going to get a foul every time. Well, you don't in England, I'm afraid. They say, get up, son, play on. He he, he, he provokes situations. He's probably an Emery-style player. He likes players that provokes, and I think he's one of those players. And I, and I really like him, but he's got, he, he just lacks a bit of stature and control against the very best. But, mate, six months ago, people were saying that Shaka's not the future and needs to be sold. He's too slow, can't do this, can't... Again, I'm we right asking... here. I was on the podcast with <laughs> But because we were asking him to do too much and we find a partner for him and suddenly we see less of his weaknesses and we can see more of his pluses. And that is football. That is That is the game. It's all about finding a system formation to make your players look so good and not so bad. So Liverpool come with a lot of confidence. About a year ago, we'd be licking our lips for playing against Dejan Lovren. He's so confident now playing next to Van Dijk. He doesn't look like a bad player anymore. He looks like a very confident player. This same player was substituted at half-time versus Spurs at Wembley because he got run so much. You put Van Dijk next to him, he looks like a monster player. Again, some, he's found his partner, he's found his confidence, he's found his defensive system, and now he looks different. Right? And that's football. So when we're judging these players, judge them in context of where they are, the system they're playing, the partners that they're playing with, what their passing options are, what their potential ceiling is, what their contract is, I'm afraid, what their value is to the club. And can they be easily upgraded and would it have a massive plus to our team? If it does, then then look at it that way around. I see some upgrade opportunities in this club. And there was a guy that said a tweet out today, he listed out the number of players that could go from our from our club within the next six months. And it's about twelve players. And I thought and none of us would look at those twelve those ten to twelve names and think, Wow, that's gonna that's a lot of wages, that's a lot of turnover. But if you look at it, you know, you look at it and you think Listeiner, Monreal, Czech, El Nenny, Ramsey, Ozil, you know, these players could all be gone. Welbeck could could all be gone. And that's a massive change we've got we've got upcoming. So number one thing we need to do to make that happen, well Cashel needs that list as well, by the way, to make that happen is we need to trust the manager. We really do. We need to trust him because we are reaching a phase now where we're going to have eight to ten players disappear from this club and eight to ten players that we have all going to know over the last five years or so, right? So, and they're going. New managers in town and new players are going to come in and um, it's going to be interesting to see how we, we as fans deal with that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the response to this game because obviously a win buys Emery all the time he wants. Um, a loss, I think, would almost be accepted. A heavy defeat would put us in a real tough position. I think in in given the the circumstances we're in right now, you know, where the squad is, where the injuries are, the um massive fixture congestion, the fixture pileup that we're facing. So it, it feels like a, a bit of a fulcrum this game. And you know, I would be fine with the draw, obviously. I'd I'd accept a win grudgingly, I think. Um 
I could live with a loss where we played well. It's the heavy defeat that you worry about. So, I mean, final thought, uh, what, what do you think the score will be? Uh, I, I'm a, it depends on the team, really. It really does. But let's just, for the sake of the podcast, let me over, let overanalyze that question too much. I think uh, we're going to get a 2-2 two, two draw. 2-2 two, two draw. Okay. Well, the one thing I will say, Arsenal and Liverpool have a history of playing some pretty crazy games. Um, yeah. I don't think it's going to be a 2-2 two, two draw, though. Uh, I will say a 3-3 three, three draw. So there you go. Yeah, I was going to say 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> but you didn't want to be crazy. I think you could be right. Yeah, yeah I didn't I mean that crazy. <laughs> How about this? 3-3 three, three, Aubameyang hat trick uh, from Ozil hat trick of assists. I'd take it. Um, what we need, what we actually need is Lacazette to score. That's we, what we, we need use, as, a, yeah. as a club. We are missing him right now. I, I think just his, his, not that he hasn't played well when he's been on, but we could use him firing again. I, I think we look best, and Aubameyang looks best when both of them are playing center forward together. Absolutely. That is the, that is our club. We're looking for one thing. We need our two in front of the defense, and we need our two forwards. Yep. And if you and if you run out of steam, we run out of steam. One of the forwards comes off. And let's rotate that a little bit more, shall we? Because we don't want Aubameyang to get a hamstring because we just can't afford it, right? So, so let's just do that. Let's just simplify it because that that four have been consistently very, very good all season. So let's let's keep them on the pitch as long as possible. Wouldn't hurt to have a tricky, dribbly, pacey winger supporting them. I mean, that, that is one thing I noticed against Brighton, uh, you know, in, in that game on Boxing Day is that there was no one to instigate. You know what I mean? There was no instigator. There was, there was no Eden Hazard. There was no Salah or Sané. There was no yeah. Sadio Mane. There, were, there was no player who could pick the ball Carry up in a ball. wide space and just beat a man and get into the channel, get into the box. And that's where Lacazette and Aubameyang can thrive with a little chaos. So yeah. I thought we missed that so- look. Yeah, go ahead. Lacazette's best time was with Fakir um, at Lyon, and Aubameyang's best time was with Dembele at, at Dortmund. Yeah, you need that player to break the lines, and what happens is they attract two people to them, and then they they give you the ball. Yeah, if you space. can beat a man, yeah. and another defender has to come over and help, I mean, suddenly yeah. you know Aubameyang's eye, you know, eyes get wide, and that's that's where you get great opportunities. And to look at it, the goal he scored against Brighton. What happened? It was a little bit of broken play on the edge of the box, and defenders collapsed yeah. to the ball. And Aubameyang just finds that little pocket of open space that, that opened up, and then that's how we got the goal. Um, all right, well, big game. We will have a preview video. I don't know, uh, Clive, did you get a chance to see the um, the Brighton preview video? No, I didn't, actually. You should watch it. You should go to Patreon and watch it. It's, um, I think it's the best one yet. From an informative standpoint, look, I don't. it was fairly short, and the graphics were not up to snuff because we didn't have time to prepare it all. But I think the pre-Brighton... Uh, match preview video was our our most spot on and informative yet so uh clive go watch it let me know what you think if you are listening and you're a patreon subscriber go watch it you know see what you think i think you will still have a lot you can learn from it in fact it also covers the history of uh how boxing day came to be known as boxing day so if you've always wanted to know that that's in that video as well in any event clive's on twitter clive pafc thanks clive my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review right now. things about Tim for being on holiday because he doesn't deserve that. He needs to be back in rainy London and doing videos and podcasts and stuff. But uh, we love you, Tim, and we're, we're glad you're in Brazil living up, living it up. The, the pictures on social media are uh, yeah, making me pretty jealous. Yeah, uh, sit here break. staring at heavy <laughs> snow out my window. So uh, I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, a Merry Christmas, a happy Boxing Day despite the football. It is a big game on Saturday. Up the Arsenal. Come on, Arsenal. You can do it. You can do it. I have faith in you. I know you hear saying, no, you don't. I do. I do have faith in you. Um, we love you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you more after Arsenal 10. Liverpool nil.